The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Well, welcome. Hey, we are uh, finishing our five-week talk on the soul uh, environments, the core values. It's our annual sort of pep talk and check-in with, with all of us. We also use these ideals, these metaphors of, of wind, water, wood, fire, and today earth as we make decisions for our community. But these metaphors are also powerful because they, they, they speak to us as individuals. In other words, I could take these metaphors, these core values, and use it to not only gauge my life, but also to measure how I'm impacting and what I'm doing with other people. Now this morning, Earth, by the way, this is the Earth movement, this is the Earth stage, you know, kind of got, this is real dirt here. Yeah, like a round of applause for Joe and Lilia. Real dirt, folks, be spared no expense. We got real dirt here, real clay pots, and, um, yeah, and so they were here in the morning doing the cloth and the paper thing. It's really creative. Those poor people had been here early Sunday mornings trying to redo the theme every Sunday because it was going to be a different talk, and so they're exhausted. But, um, but that's what this is about. It's about earth. And so it is from the scriptures, we use the idea that creativity is the natural result of spirituality. All right? I'm going to say it one more time. Creativity is the natural result of spirituality, not homogenous, not some sort of, you know, cookie cutter sort of experience with God, but that it would be a very unique creative experience. And in this case, the subtitle is making your mark. Now let me open up by introducing this idea. That even if you are not a person who is, quote, a believer in God, maybe you're just checking this thing out for the first time or two. Maybe you haven't really considered yourself a real Jesus God person. And maybe you're not even sure if it even exists or it's real. But what I want to say to you is this, that because you are a human being, you will automatically influence and impact the lives of others, period. You are going to leave a mark. You are going to leave a legacy. You are going to influence. You're going to shape the world that you live in. And when I mean the world, I mean the immediate, like your family in your home. Then those neighbors across the street, the ones that you don't like and they don't like you. Amen. Yeah, I don't like them. Amen. And I don't, they don't like me. Praise Jesus. This is how I want it. That's how I want it. Mean it. And then there's the community of where you work and the people that you, you interact with, okay? The reality is, is that our world, where we live, has already altered or morphed to fit you. For example, our world is different because Senator Kennedy lived. Our world is different because Dr. King lived. Our world is different because Mother Teresa lived. Our world is different because Obama is a president. Our world is different. And each of you, the world is what it is right now because you are who you are. You're going to leave a mark. You're going to leave a legacy. Let's see how what the scriptures say about uh, what that mark can be and what our results can be. So we're going to go to a familiar passage in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. You know, how many of you, you have a Bible, you couldn't couldn't name the chapter and verse, but you know that a certain verse is by that Tabasco stain or the coffee mancha, you know what I'm talking about? You know the Bible by geography? My wife bought me a new Bible and 
Yeah, I, I love her and appreciate it. I had one for 20 years. Yes, I know, it's coming. It's like living with somebody, because you, you, again, you know the script, you just kind of like know it by weight. Oh, it was so many pages over this way, and it felt like this, it was next to the wrinkle. And so now I actually have to look things up, and it's kind of strange. All right. Verse 26, where am I? Okay. So, creation story, kind of common. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now I'm going to jump over to chapter 2, verse 7. So what was the stuff? What was the, the material that he made humanity out of? Chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So here in this, in this story... Here you have God implanting and putting on humanity his image. And so you don't even have to be a believer in God. You, you carry this with you. For example, one of the reasons why you feel lonely at times is because you're wired for a relationship. The reasons why you're able to have emotion, intellect, and will is that these are the components of personality that God also put on us. One of the reasons why you're creative, and you might think, now I don't mean artistic, I mean creative. And I mean creative like, you know, you've devised ways to get out of trouble or to get into trouble. You're creative, you know what I mean, okay? <laughs> it's because God is creative also. And so this particular, um, let's say, order, this particular guideline, this invitation from God was, hey, I'm going to make folks that kind of bear our image, but I also want them to, to take care of the planet. So God was green long before it was popular, long before the Prius came out. But isn't it funny that that's kind of sometimes a new idea to, to Christians? Like we think this is, you know, especially sometimes our theology informs our soul so incorrectly that if you think the end is coming soon, you just think, well, you know, the hell with the earth. But it's not our planet. It, you know, we ought to be treating this place like we treat going over to someone's house. You know, you're a guest. You're trying to leave it a little bit nicer than you found it. All right, I'm off that soapbox. My point, and there is one, thank you, thank you very much, is that there's an intention behind this. That God says, I, I, I want you to take care of the planet and take care, of, and thereby, in a sense, taking care of each other. Here's something that I, I found sort of distressing, but now that I've accepted it, I'm kind of okay with it. You know that evil replicates all by itself. You know how you make garbage? Just leave food out. It's garbage. You know how to get out of shape? Do nothing. You'll get out of shape. You know, it's that idea of entropy, right? We move from order to chaos. Everything just gets worse on its own. But it takes a focused intention to get things to stay better and healthier. I mean, we see the celebrities or athletes that are in great shape, and you think, I don't have those genes. I got my parents' genes. I got bad jeans on. I'm wearing Levi jeans. I don't have these jeans. And I want to be this guy. And we don't recognize that they, you know, they have a diet. They watch what they eat. They drink a lot of water. They take supplements. They work out. They actually go to the gym and do something instead of just drive by. So everything that's worthwhile requires effort. It's what I've noticed in corporations in my job. 
that success is self-correcting. Things don't just happen well without some intention. Whether it's money management, whether it's your school, whether it's your job, whether it's your physical health, somebody somewhere had to put some thought into it to keep it up, to make it work right. But if you just want it to go to hell, just do nothing. It will fall apart. Your cars, your homes, your lives. Now, I said that to set this up to say this. And so I want you to hear the sentence out before you tune me out, especially those of you on the podcast. That moral purity isn't the end game. It's not the goal. Moral purity is not the goal. It's just the start. See, I know that some of us have, have been to churches and, and maybe you came from one where, you know, there was kind of an unspoken, there was a tacit and a spoken list of what it's like to be a good follower of Jesus, right? In fact, they even told you how to vote. No need to think here. We'll tell you what you should be. No need to form an opinion. We'll give you one. And you've walked into, have you, have you walked into some of those places? I went to church in Texas. Nothing about Texas. I love Texas. Big hair, big makeup. So, um, and the women were done up too. So, and they, um, okay, here I'm back. I went to Texas and, and you know, I, I wore my Sunday best, which was a black t-shirt and, you know, and, and wash jeans and my black Converse. See, these are gray for summer. I wish I was kidding. Come September, Labor Day, no more white. So I, go, I go back to black Converse. Okay, back to the point is that I went in there and then I, I realized I did not get the list. There was a dress code. They were very cool and they were very gracious, but it was obvious there was apparently a list of how you dress, right? And there's, you know, you don't go to certain movies, you don't go to certain places, and, and you don't do certain things. And, and you know what? That, the list is always so short in comparison to the liberty and the frightening liberty God gives us. Because we're invited to join him in his work of expanding and continuing his influence and doing good. And when you read about the life of Jesus in the biographies, those books that we call the Gospels, you'll never hear him say, believe in me first so I can do something good for you. Hey, do you think I'm actually the Lord? Did you accept me? Are you born again before I heal you? He just does good. And sometimes we have this weird experience that we, as in our churches, that we expect people to believe before they experience. But they're supposed to experience God from us and then come to belief. We, um, we have a strange way of perhaps processing this. In Matthew chapter 13, let's look at this for portion for just a moment. Matthew 13. Maybe some of you are those folks that think, wow, you know, if I'd, I'd been there when Jesus was talking, you know, I would have gotten it. You know, I've got to listen to this Yahoo on Sunday morning to explain it to me. No wonder I'm confused. But, you know, those guys were sometimes just as confused as we are. You know, they, they would hear his words and they were trying to figure out how to actually live this out. And so Jesus, uh, you know, being the teacher that he was, would use whatever was in front of him to explain what the God life was like. And so, uh, let me give you the metaphors now, the legend. He, he said that our souls were like soil and his words were like seeds. 
So when he explained that parable, the, the guys didn't get it and they asked him for a private explanation. And this is what he said, uh, chapter 13, verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the person who hears the word, understands it, and it produces a crop yielding 100, 60, or 30 times what was sown. See, the, the idea behind this was that the, your connection to God your connection was supposed to lead to reflection of God. As your life was more and more exposed and open to what God was saying to you, you reflected him more and more in your life. Now, now here's, uh, uh, listen, I, I want to make sure I'm clear here. I, I love this book. I mean, I'm, I'm betting my life on it. For those of you who are Talbot, I believe it's the inerrant, infallible word of God. And what we have is accurate, 98.6% of it, but still accurate. In it. I mean, as a student for 35 plus years, I mean, I know where the bodies are buried in this book, and some of you are gonna discover them too. My point is that it's, I think we limit this parable to just this book, and we think information is gonna be transformational. But how many of you realize that that's not it either? You have studied this book, and it leaves you frustrated and feeling, actually what it seems to do, it adds more guilt, doesn't it? And then you'll get lost and chasing the rabbit holes of what Ezekiel really meant and what was John really experiencing and is a post, pre, trib, a Calvin, Armenian. And all the while the world is dying and burning around us. We're like lawyers in love with each other. We have this echo chamber of speaking to each other. Christians fiddling while the world around us burns down to a crisp. I don't get that. Now, you, if you want to argue a point in the script, oh, okay, right, you win. I mean, I, 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 I'm convinced of my view. But in the end, it has to be lived out. And see, it's not just hearing this word here. It's also those moments when God speaks to you clearly and spiritually, mystically into your soul, and you know it's the voice of heaven causing your soul to thrive, and he's asking you to be courageous and actually believe it and move forward. See, because for some of us, again, we define ourselves by what we don't do. I don't drink to get drunk anymore. Just slightly buzzed. I don't smoke that anymore. I smoke legal product now. You know, I don't do this anymore. I don't sleep with that person as much. You know, I'm actually getting better. No, you're not. Because once you've made your list, Let's face it, we can make any list, any standard. But Paul says the measurement is Jesus Christ. And so actually liberty in Christ is frightening to most of us. It takes courage to walk in the freedom that he gives us. 
Paul says that everything is permissible. Not everything is beneficial, but everything is permissible. And in this particular experience, this particular metaphor that Jesus was explaining to his, to his followers, his students, he was pointing out, look, when you hear God speak to you and you act on it, your influence magnifies exponentially in a positive, healthy way. Most of us have come into following Christ with such negative momentum that it takes a while to slow it down, stop it, and turn the wheel back differently. But as you begin to follow Christ, those things that were damaged and broken, look, moral purity, he does in a moment. Working this out takes a lifetime in creating the positive momentum that creates a positive, healthy influence for anyone that touches our life. Listen, when you hear a positive voice speak to you, I'm convinced that is the voice of the Father speaking to you to move. And I'm telling you, as, as your friend, as your pastor, if you hold back, if you are afraid, there's going to come a time that you're going to doubt that you ever heard. It'll be harder to tune in. And then finally you'll get to the place where you thought you've never heard it before. It just was a crazy notion. Continuing this, this idea of, of soil and earth, uh, let's go to Galatians chapter 5 and take a look at this, what Paul has to say to us in Galatians chapter 5. How many of you ever tried to stop cussing? Okay, just the three of us, honest guys right here. Everybody was liars. Dang liars, I might add. At any rate, uh, and you notice whenever you try to stop cussing, what you end up doing more? Cussing, right. Yeah, I'm going to quit smoking. By the way, I, I don't know why people say quit smoking is, is hard. I mean, I've done it many times. No matter what you try to stop doing, when you focus on it, it seems like that becomes the thing. Now, Paul's going to take some pressure off of us. 516. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other. So that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Then he's going to give a list of things that go wrong. Now, drop down to verse 22. The fruit, uh, it's a singular word, which means that I don't need to focus on, I want to be more joyful, I want to be more loving, is that if I am in tune and moving with the rhythm of God in my life, that all of these things begin to take shape and, and manifest themselves in my life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have, been, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying one another. So in one passage we read that connection to God begins to reflect Him. And here the connection to God leads to transformation. I, I think some of us, <clears throat> all of us, 
we really don't repent of anything. We really don't change. We're really not really that sorry for stuff that goes wrong. I think we're, we're kind of bummed out over the consequences. We're embarrassed. We're ashamed. Now, here's what I mean by this. There are those moments when you just, you just have experienced... There are those moments when you recognize you don't deserve anything good from God. Not His love, not His kindness, not His forgiveness. That when He does step in and you experience it at that moment because you are so completely open and broken and honest that then it has its healing effect. See, have you ever, some of you have probably keep rehashing in your minds and your head something you've done that was stupid, unhealthy, unwise, bad decision, and you have defined yourself by that moment. When you step into a moment with God and he steps in and touches you in a way that heals you and cleans you, it's his love that's healing to us, not the law, not a list. We've experienced this in the human level, right? Remember in junior high school? Pass that note. I like you, do you like me? Circle one. Yes or no, right? The thing is at some very real level, God has circled yes for you. And he's done this and says, yes, I do care for you. And it's his love that's very liberating. It's his kindness that's so healing. It's his experience with him that's so transformational. I mean, I, I love the scriptures. I love the book. But it's, the book is, can be a, almost deadening without the person behind it. Keeping this theme... Let's go to Romans chapter 12 for just a moment. Romans 12, verse 4. Now here's where spirituality leads. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. So if a person's gift is prophesying, let them use it in proportion to their faith. If it is serving, let them serve. If it is teaching, let them teach. If it's encouraging, let them encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let them give generously. But if it's leadership, let them govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let them do it cheerfully. I mentioned my, my Texas experience. By the way, freaking barbecue there in Texas. There was this place called Rudy's in Austin. Incredible. I, I thought I experienced liberty, but I was set free when I stepped into Rudy's. Um, let me leave Austin. Back here. The thing I remember about that, uh, the folks were very gracious and very kind. But, but here's what I want to point out to, to us is that, you know, I mentioned that moral purity isn't the goal. It's just the beginning. It's the first step. It's actually the foundation to begin to live a human life. It really is. I mean, people look at the Ten Commandments as some impossible standard. Okay, I, I bet, I bet if I asked, challenged all of you today, you could get through the day without actually physically murdering somebody today. Do not murder. Oh, it's impossible. You don't know the husband I have, you know? You don't know the kids I've spawned, you know? How about you, just today, just from now until one, do not steal. 
Dang it. How about if I just borrow and use for it, you know? And don't steal somebody else's love as well. Don't steal their stuff or someone else's heart. Here's something. When you guys speak and, and deal with each other, be honest, even if it costs. Now, here's what I want to point out about moral purity. Moral purity should not lead us to all look alike, dress alike, and have this sort of group think. Every single time somebody walks into Mosaic and chooses to become part of the community, you've changed it. It's like adding a color into a, you know, those uh, spinning, crazy, goofy things at the fair. Because, uh, how can I put this? Paul using the members of the body to explain us. Not everything's an eyeball, not everything's an ear, not everything's a big toe, correct? Listen, no one's here going to give you a list. We'll encourage you to discover Christ and experience all of his kindness. And here's what we're convinced of. We have this much confidence in the Holy Spirit, this much confidence in the Scripture, that as you expose yourself to it, you are going to be the man or the human being that you were meant to be. And it won't look like Corey, and it won't look like Patrick, and it won't look like Chris, and it won't look like Ned, and it won't look like Handsome Rob. Won't look like Rachel either, or my wife Lilia. Moral purity is synonymous with uniqueness. Creativity is the result of spirituality, not uniformity. What binds us together is our love for Christ, our respect for the scriptures, our commitment to love. The five big ideas from the scripture, but moral purity will lead you to uniqueness. This is why when Paul writes in the chapter earlier, in this same chapter, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. We think it's all those bad people out there, but the pattern of the world exists inside these walls. And you end up becoming a bad copy of somebody else's life instead of the unique person that Jesus dreamed you could be when he bled out for you on his cross. Your moral purity, your, your walk is meant to release you into a life that only you can live. No one else can fulfill who you are. No one else could do the, the, the work and fulfill the dream and the mission that's given to you, to you, to you. It's you. He's, and that's what's frightening about this life as a Christian, really. It's not that we have this hard, crazy list to live up to. Take the list off the table. The courageous thing to do is to move away from the list. The courageous thing to do is to step towards Christ and to hear what he would challenge you to live by and to experience that liberty. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 1 for just a moment. There's another big idea in the scripture. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4. So here he is in a moment, maybe in prayer, just processing, thinking. And it says, And so the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you, in the womb I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now here's the pushback. Ah, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. 
But the Lord said to me, don't you say that I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Now, I, let me back up for just a moment. I know this sounds like, whoops, whoops, you know, this kind of a boss, like your dad with the, you know how those of you who are Hispanic, the cinto, you know, comes out? Because everything at a Hispanic home is a weapon, right? God help you if you're misbehaving and you're in the garage because there's tools there. I can still hear my mom, fire something up, you know? Just working through my pain up here. See, this is not at all like that. He says, don't you understand? I need to send you to people who don't know who I am, who haven't experienced my love, who don't know what it's like to be forgiven and experience transformation. You have to go. Who else am I supposed to send if you're not the guy? Look, let's be honest. When we talk about people who are, you know, that don't care for God or have a kind of a low view of God, and by the way, most people don't have a low view of Jesus, they just have a low view of church. We have to own that. Where else did that come from but from us? We've been on the wrong side of history on many occasions. We've been on the right side of history on many more occasions. But we've done some stupid things in the name of Jesus. So let's reverse the trend as individuals. And I want to point out to you that, that you were actually a dream and a thought in God's mind before your reality here. You're not a mistake. You're not an afterthought. You're not like, oh, my parents went away for the weekend. They didn't plan on me, and here I came, you know. Oh. And if Acts 17 is true, and I, I think personally that it is, that you were born in the optimal moment to experience God. This time, this place, this country, this moment. Because he invites you to expand his positive, healthy, good influence throughout humanity. Even if people reject him, he still chooses to bless them. And I think at times we get this weird notion that we have... We make people a project. How, how insulting and dehumanizing would that be? I'm giving you 18 months, and if you don't come to Jesus then, take him my love elsewhere. Hey, I remember being told that if you shared the gospel with one person, they said no, they didn't have the right to hear it again. If we reflect Christ, we love regardless of the outcome. But I know that some of us, we want such certainty. We have a lust for it. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3 for a moment, and I'm going to close. Paul may be echoing this a little bit. He's processing and thinking, and, and, and like many of his letters, he writes to a, an area, a region. He would tell them, hey, you know, read my letter and then share it with these other churches and take their letter that I wrote them and you guys read it and you know, live it out. And so he, his typical pattern is that he would write you know, some significant theological statements. And then the, the latter half of his letters, he would point out how to live, actually live this out. But it seems as if he was beginning to process what Christ has done for us and how we experienced him. He just steps into a moment where he can't help but be thankful. And so he says in verse 20 of this chapter, Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more, than all that we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church 
and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And it's the beginning of that verse, verse 20, that he has ideas and plans for your life that are far bigger than what we think we imagine. Many times we, I don't know what we, why we do this. We so disparage us as human beings. Maybe it's just because you know you've done some one dumb thing or maybe because you know you're broken in a certain way that you just think, I, I'm, I'm not going to be this person or I'm not, I can't be healthy or I can't be whole. But the only limit to that is your courage to experience it from Christ. It's not God's limit. In fact, the scriptures teach us that he kind of gets a kick out of using people who are extremely broken just to demonstrate how kind he is and to show his ability. I think we have such a lust for certainty that we don't move at all. We, we want the detailed roadmap about how to move forward and what God gives us is a compass. Move in this direction. You don't get certainty. I mean, I, you know, maybe you're that guy, maybe you're that woman that you know, God tells you, turn left, buy this toothpaste. I'm just not that guy. I, I, don't, I don't get that. I, you know, I, I see ideas in the scripture. I try to live them out. But, you know, I don't, I don't ask him, hey, what, what t-shirt today? Well, it's black, Octavia. That's all you have, you know. My point in there is one, is that what we get from Christ is often confidence, encouragement, to become people of courage, people of character, to move forward. If I can encourage you as followers, let me do this. Live risking, get rid of your lists, search the scriptures, experience Christ, love people, forgive people, care for people, be kind to people. There's your list. Your list was found in Galatians. You're going to find gradually sometimes some of your tastes change, some of those habits that were once that you needed to prop you up, you needed to kind of anesthetize some of your darkness and your pain. Changes. And then live a courageous life. Let your soul become that healthy soil that the seeds or the words of God will produce fruit so that your life is unexplainable, unmanageable, influential, healthy, good, positive. So that people can experience who God is finally through your life. Let me pray with you. We'll get going. Father, thank you so much for us, so that the, what you've given to us, what you do for us, and how you love us and forgive us and heal us and, and commit yourself to us. Thank you for being all in, even when we were just very timid in this relationship. And what I do pray for these folks this morning is that as they look through the questions and stuff in, the, in their bulletin, as they begin to think through the metaphor of earth and how you've used it in the scripture over and over again. That they would abandon and get rid of any kind of list or standards in their mind of living the Jesus life and allow the spirit to speak to them about living the Jesus life. That we would look at that list in Galatians of love, kindness, patience, faithfulness and measure ourselves that way. That we would be people defined by what we're for, not what we're, we're against. So I pray that you give these folks courage. Give me courage. Give us the courage to live out the Christ life in this community 
and this culture. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.